From the Orange County Fire Authority, this is the Pass Along Podcast, where we address firefighter issues from top to bottom, from your helmet down to your boots. Now, here's your host. Hi, and welcome back to the OCFA Pass Along Podcast. My name is Brian Yell, and I am a firefighter paramedic currently assigned to the EMS section as the Supply and Equipment Coordinator. I'm going to be your host for the four-part series of this podcast. Today, we are doing something a little different than usual. On September 28th, the OCFA hosted the Vegas Strong After Action Review of the Route 91 Harvest Festival shooting in Las Vegas. Since then, we've been preparing the presentations from that event so we can make them available to everyone who wasn't able to attend. You can find the video versions of the presentation on Target Solutions, and there is a post-test in there so you can get the whole whopping one continuing education credit for each presentation. You can also choose to listen to the presentations as a podcast and take the test on Target Solutions afterwards. We wanted to give you a few options to access the presentations so you can learn what we learned that day. This is the first podcast in our four-part series and features our first speaker of the day, Joshua Fonseca. Josh is a fire communication specialist for the Las Vegas Combined Communications Center and was receiving 911 calls from the Route 91 shooting. Here's Josh. Hello everyone, good morning. As stated, um, my name is Joshua Fonseca. I've been with the Combined Communications Center for almost three years now. And needless to say, I was there the night that the, uh, we call it the 10-1 incident, it's known as Route 91 shooting as well. So in the Combined Communications Center, we dispatch for Clark County, City of Las Vegas, City of North Las Vegas and the Mont Charleston District. And what that includes is even Clark County, it's the rural areas and the outlining areas that we dispatch for. So in the Combined Communication Center, we do cover 6,500 square miles. Uh, we have 72 fire stations, 49 communications specialist staff on the roster. We have five communication specialist supervisors. They're the ones we directly report to. We have eight emergency communication nurses. So we have like a nurse line that if it's real non-emergent, non-emergent, we can dispatch them for the nurse line, they give the nurse advice. That's just something that went in just over a year ago. We do about, on a regular day, about 1,900 calls in and out per day. And at one time, there's usually about two to six call takers. And then for, as far as the dispatch side goes, these are actually different calls that we got for the event that night. So we got, of course, the active shooter, but we also got reports of them at the New York, New York, MGM Grand, Tropicana, and McCarran Airport. Now, let me go on record saying that as of right now, we only know there was one shooter, but because people were scattering from the event, this is what they were saying. They were just going in and saying, we have a shooter, we have a shooter. So we were getting calls from these respective locations advising us, thinking that there was a shooter on their property. Again, we got shots fired at the Bellagio and MGM. We got a building fire at the Mandalay Bay. We're not gonna, unfortunately, we're not gonna send our firefighters into the Mandalay Bay where we know that's where they're shooting from. We got an explosive device at the Luxor, and we also had suspicious packages east of the festival. So that's pretty much the, the range of different calls that we were getting coming in from the citizens and hotel security for that matter. Now the incident statistics as far as we're concerned in the dispatch center, we have 161 valley-wide personnel that responded. We, have 50, we had 15 engines, three trucks, 26 rescues, seven battalion chiefs, two EMS supervisors, one mass casualty unit, 
one Air Resource Hub and 11 Chief Officers. That's from all the jurisdictions that we dispatch for, all responding to this event. The Combined Communications Center, we did have a call type of a mass casualty incident level two. Again, we started at the least, and as we found out more people, unfortunately, were getting injured, we, had, we did have to upgrade everything. We, have eight, we had eight radio channels working. We had five call takers, plus two more that either came in early or weren't scheduled at all that, that came in to help us out. One supervisor. We had a total number of 589 calls received by the Combined Communication Center and a total emergency number of 412. That's the amount of emergency calls we received that night. We had 60 to 70 incidents pending at one time, and this is mainly because we were getting a report of so many injured that we had to pretty much put where they were because at this current time, we couldn't send someone everywhere, unfortunately. Total number of incoming and outgoing calls placed that day was 1,001. So if on an average day is 1,900, in that four to six hour period, we took over a thousand calls. What I'm gonna play for you now is the first 10 minutes. I'm sorry if this hits an emotional button for a lot of you guys, it does me still. But this is the first 10 minutes in the communication center between calls and radio traffic that we were getting that night. Fire and medical with the address of the emergency. Fire department. I'm getting reports of someone possibly being shot at this location. Numerous calls coming in. We had 20 subjects down. What? Is that the Route 91? The resort, the MGM resort. There's numerous reports coming in. We have 33 calls holding. It's an active shooter. Copy. From at least seven patients. For a guy that's been shot in the leg with a pellet gun. You guys got the officer shot. Two officers down now. Uh, have you got word of our active shooter yet? We have about 20 people down. Just letting you know we have a possible active shooter situation at the Route 91 Festival. 30 calls in queue, and I don't have anything else. I have unknown injuries at this time, but I just, if you guys could maybe be around stage. Thank you. They said about 20 people down right now. Okay. The shooter's still active. All right. 25-year-old male, and he's been shot with a pellet gun in the leg. Just one person? We've got an active shooter there right now. We've got at least seven victims. Yeah. At least seven patients. We've got three units responding. We have multiple, just advising there there's multiple casualties. It's not quote for you, but I'm just advising you what's going on over there. Uh, I don't know how many. There's just been multiple, but that's all I have. Fire and medical, what is the address of the emergency? Again, Mandalay Bay. We have an officer down northbound Mandalay Bay also. Okay, officer down at Mandalay Bay? Yes, northbound at Mandalay Bay. Mandalay Bay, our officer that's been shot, he has yeah. shot to his chest. We're Giles and Reno south, south of. We have one shot in the face, shot in the leg, several. Another one at Giles in Reno. Hello. Are you with anybody that's been shot? Yes. I started bleeding the hole. I got her left boot. I got her turning it. Oh, my God. It was my foot. She was on her stomach. Uh, What's going on? Uh, we have a 40-year-old female conscious of breathing. She got shot in the butt. An active shooter. Uh-huh. So just so we can let you know what's going on. Okay. That way you guys can move in when it's called for. But it's, it's definitely multiple casualties. By the gate, they say gate four. Let me see. We got one shot in the head now. Okay. My husband's been shot. We just off the strip. Sometimes parents are back Okay, I'm sorry. Wait, ma'am. Where are you at? West Russell. West Russell. Medical, what is the address of the emergency? Area for the MCS. Um, you know what? I don't think we have a staging area as of right now because Engine 11 was um, near the scene and they were also um, kind of 
caught in the crossfire. So as of right now, there's no staging area. Boulevard? Yes, sir. We are. We have a 24-year-old man who just was shot on Reno. He is still conscious of breathing. Where was he shot? Uh, where is he shot? We don't know. I don't know where he's shot right now. We're still getting information. We have uh, also there's a lot of metro units responding for a automatic gunfire going on by Mandalay Bay Transportation. Right. We're on our way. One of my firefighters was there, and I happened to see him uh, live on his phone, but then it went dead. Holy shit, that was scary. The shooter at around the Manorley Bay. We have reports about 20 people that are down. Yes. Okay, do you guys have direct pressure on that wound? Direct pressure on the wound, yes. Tip shooter on the strip. He said his sister texted him. She shot in the head. I met Looks like now we have an active shooter at the casino level to curse the room. What was that, i we have another active shooter at the casino level. Chris. Ten victims at Russell on the Boulevard. Holy crap. He's alone, right? DOA. Eight. DOA? What's the location on that? Twelve critical. Extremely critical. Okay. Rapid transport out of here. Okay. Rapid transport. We're trying to put them on the back street of this thing. Guile Street or whatever the hell this is. Reno. You're on Reno and where? Reno and Guile on the back side of this festival thing. Reno and Guile. Of Las Vegas Boulevard. Okay. We're trying to expedite everyone out of here. Okay. So you said at least DOA and 12 rapid transport. You said correct? At least. Okay. That's only what I've been able to see. Okay. All right. Okay. I, I will update that in the call, sir. My, do you have my number? Um, Give it to me. 186. Then the way shooting down. Okay. All right. We appreciate it, sir. We do have uh, several in the area, so I'll go ahead and update as well, okay? Okay. Okay. Thank you, sir. And be safe, okay? We have two victims. Okay, at, at gate six. She was, she was hit with that bullet ricochet in the arm. Okay, ma'am, where where are you located? I'm in a storage container. You're in the storage container? Yeah, I'm hiding. Okay, just stay where you're at, okay? Where is that storage lo uh, container located? It's in the center of the main stage. In the center of the main stage? For the main event, that's 3901. It's all coming. There are two subjects shot. And they're going to be in the desert area by the trailers. They're going to be hiding in a, or um, next to a cream-colored gold GNC Yukon, and they were shot in the back. Fire medical, what is the address of the emergency? We have one of the guys that have been shot with us. Okay, and where are you guys at? We just turned around, and now we're coming back. Oh, he's got his gun out, you guys. Who has a gun? Okay, ma'am, where exactly are you? Are you in a vehicle, or are you still out there on the, in the area? We're in, a, we're in a vehicle, and he's trying to get this. He's trying to get this guy to the hospital. Someone's at Russell and Boulevard. Ten victims at Russell and the Boulevard. Boulevard. Yes. Okay. We have. We have a possible uh, 419. Hey. I am down right now at the pin at the Route 91. I need to know is the active shooter neutralized or not. I have a wounded person right here with a gunshot to the stomach right now. We're pinned down right now behind the stage, so I need to know right now. He has a he has a GCW to the stomach right now with no entry, exit room right now. Okay. His shell cool back correct, so I need to know I can exit him too. So that okay. shooter is still alive. Do we have it? Do we have an extrication point on where we're going to take these victims at? Where we're meeting them at? Um, so I need to I need to move him somewhere right now. If you're, you're what what unit are you on? I'm trying my best, okay. Okay. We yes. and just so you know, there's a second shooter now too. So just so you know. Yes. Yeah. Right. 
Yeah, hey, just so you know, there's there's a third shooter on the 32nd there's floor in Mandalay Bay, okay? There's a third shooter! There's a third shooter! I have a DSW to the abdomen with no exit room. I have a priority. I have a priority on this one. Extra. I need an extract zone on where we're going to go. I need to know north, south, east, west right now. We are pinned on the middle of the stage of the venue of Route 91. The Manway Bay, the active shooter was off Manway Bay on the west side of the venue right now. Gunshot victims, about a half a dozen, uh, 3901, Las Vegas Boulevard South. 3901, okay, we got them on the way. I gave you 21, gate four. I, I was, I was shot in the lake. Okay, how old are you, sir? I am 40 years old. Okay, I, I'm going to get help on the way. I have a okay. question, were you at the Route 91? Yes, ma'am. Okay, yes, I'm here. Do, do, do you know if the, 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 the fire stopped at? Completely. We have multiple victims by the church. Okay. Okay, you guys can come in. We have coverage. Where at? In Reno, west of east, east of the boulevard. Reno, east of the boulevard. You guys can come there. Okay, I am behind the church on Reno Boulevard and South Las Vegas Boulevard. I have two women, both with gunshot legs, gunshot wounds to the leg. Yes, she has a gunshot wound up right above her right leg. Gunshot wound, okay. Do you have a piece of a clean, dry cloth that you can apply firm pressure until you can get a right, help, please? Yeah, we have bars and we have um, a belt tied around her leg. Okay, so is her bleeding under control? Hi, um, we're requesting several units to Quill Air Center. Okay. Which is located at, we have several subjects from the active shooter that's happening at Mandalay Bay that are on property that have been shot. Okay. Um, three for sure. Three for sure? We have shooters on the 30, uh, 2nd floor of the casino. Which casino? The Mandalay Bay. Okay, that's where he is. I, I don't know, there's more than one, so, but that's what they're saying right now. Okay. On the 32nd floor by the elevator. The security shot on... Yeah, security is shot on the 32nd floor by the elevator. So there's a security officer, Amanda, the security officer down. Awesome. Okay. Three shooters on the 32nd. Three shooters? Mm-hmm. Okay. There's two with sunshot. Two with sunshot wounds to the leg, to the rear of the search on Ringer and the Las Vegas Boulevard. Some people trapped inside. Yeah, we're, try, we're trying to get there. There's two shooters out there, and they're shooting a lot of people. We're trying to get, we haven't even got a, uh, we're trying to get a triage location for people to go to. Well, she said there's people trapped inside, and one female has been shot. I couldn't confirm if it was outside or inside, and then the line disconnected. The gunshot victim from that thing, uh, it's going to be uh, Blue Diamond going on to the 15th. Okay. Reno and Hayden? Mm-hmm. Got multiple subjects down. Okay. All right. So, like, there's, like, uh, over 40 to 50 patients. All right. All right. Thank you. What was your name? Hey, just letting you know we have an active shooter at the Route 91 Festival. Okay. You're going to be getting a lot of patients. Unsure if we're going to, we're sure be transporting to you, but they're definitely going to be coming. Okay. So, we've got about 40 to 50 injured at least. 40 to 50? At least. Yeah. At least. Okay. Yep. Thank you, ma'am. Okay. We're, I'm at the Sundance Terminal, and there's the person shot in my lobby. I need help. Right now. Okay, listen. They'll be at the MGM Grand. We have multiple uh, multiple people hit with bullets. Three, and then we got one with a dislocated shoulder. Patients that are trapped. Uh, we have several calls, but I don't know where you want me to send these patients. You know what? I'm trying to get the metro right now to sort out where we've got a safe zone. She's in her hangar. She's been shot. Okay, ma'am. Pretty bad. Ma'am, 5596, what's the uh, street name?
ER Sydney, may I help you? Hey, this is Clark County Fire Dispatching. Hey, you guys were the active shooter? Yes. All right, thank you. Okay, bye-bye. All right, so what we're going to do now is, um, unfortunately, the following people couldn't be here to share their story, so we kind of recorded them sharing their story so you guys can hear it. Um, again, I do appreciate everyone being here, so I'll get right into it. Hello, my name is Monet Foster. I've worked for the Combined Communication Center for two years. The night of October 1 changed my life forever. That night I was starting my shift call taking. I heard someone say that there was an active shooter at the Route 91 festival. I immediately thought there is no way that this is real. When the call started pouring in, so many emotions flooded my mind. I was shocked that this was actually happening in my city. Then I immediately got worried knowing that a few of my coworkers were at the concert and there was nothing that I could do to help them. When phones were ringing off the hook with patrons who were in desperate need of medical attention. After taking call after call and having to tell victims help is on the way, I just don't know when they're gonna get to you. I immediately felt helpless. I still don't know how this event really affected me, but it was nice to have the support of all my coworkers. Hello, my name is Jordan Fox. A little bit about myself. I moved to Las Vegas about five years ago. I've been with Las Vegas Fire and Rescue a little over two years now. I'm also working part-time for an ambulance company, Medic West. It's a sister company to AMR. I've been an EMT for seven years and a dispatcher for five. Our shifts are four 10-hour shifts that start every two hours, so we don't really have a squad, and we usually don't see the same people every day. Sunday shift, however, is the closest shift to a squad I feel that I have. We have a lot of fun on the shift and banter with each other like we're family, and my favorite part, we do a potluck on this day. One October started like every other shift, we just finished eating our breakfast when the deadliest shooting in America began. When the first call came in, I was sitting on the call-taking side of the room. I took the f first phone call from the event. It was from a young, hysterical, scared female. She was 20 years old and her friend was shot. I stayed on the line trying to gather as much information as I could. I'm not, a, I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with the ProQA. If you're not, it's basically it's a computer program that we use during our medical calls where we read the questions that are on the screen exactly how it's worded, and eventually we'll we are graded on this call. There are certain calls where we are required to stay on the line with a caller until the paramedics are right next to the patient. I could tell that this was going to be one of them. After listening to her scream and the screaming in the background and how frantic she was, ProQA and the script went right out the window. She didn't know her location, she just knew she was at a country concert and she was on the strip in Las Vegas. Thankfully, I was familiar with the event and the location where the event was being held. I told her to do her best to get the to the closest medical tent and ask for help. I continued to reassure her that we were coming and help is on the way. I just didn't tell her I didn't know when we were going to be there. Seconds after the first call, Josh received a call from Las Vegas Metro, our police department, who was advising us they're getting multiple shot, multiple calls and reports of shots being fired with an unknown amount of people down. We took what information we had and we started the response process. Simultaneously across the room, our dispatcher that covers the Las Vegas Strip where the event was being held was being asked by an engine company that was watching the concert from outside the fence that there was reports of shots being fired and asked if we had any further info. After the call was sent to the dispatcher's screen, that's when it sunk in for the room that we were getting reports of an active shooter at the music festival. That's when my type A and controlling personality kicked in. I knew we had a lot to do and little time with minimal staffing. We had to notify the firefighters and the ambulance companies. 
We had to notify the chiefs to advise them of the chaos their units are responding to. We had to move units from stations across the valley to fill the void of the stations that are responding to the event. Not only did we have to focus on the event, we also had other emergencies working in the valley that we also had to respond to. We had to notify hospitals of the situation to let them know that even though they might not be a trauma center, they're going to be getting a lot of patients with many traumatic injuries. The units will do their best not to inundate one hospital, but understand that it might be that way. I started the to-do list by notifying the hospitals of the situation while keeping my very first caller on the line with me. My training with critical patient requires me to stay on the line and provide information to the patient as best that I can until the paramedics are there to take over. I didn't realize that I needed to hang up with my PR until my supervisor stood up and asked me to come sit at her desk. I didn't want to hang up. What if the medics couldn't find her? What if she was the only person to get through to 911? What if more patients came to her that we could help? I disconnected the line anyway. Our supervisor that night was Letha. We can refer to her as our hero. She needed, she needed help to make notifications and answer more phone calls. She was up and answering the questions that we all had throughout the room. My girlfriend is a police officer for Las Vegas Metro. You always hear about kissing your loved one goodbye because you never know. We always kiss each other, hug each other, no matter what. And let me tell you, I was so thankful before we left for work today, that day, I gave her a hug and a kiss. She was also working that night and was in briefing when they first heard the chaos that was breaking out on the strip. They were also receiving reports of multiple shooters with multiple people down, including officers. We started calling each other almost at the same time. As much as I wish I could have said our conversation was long and romantic, it was everything but that. It was something like this. She answered the phone, I heard the radio, in the background on loud conversations in the background and her saying, I know you know and I'm heading down there. I know they're trained and I know they're all prepared for these types of situations, but I didn't want her to go. Knowing what I knew at the time, I knew she needed to. We said goodbye and hung up the phone and that was the last time we talked for the next three hours. She sent me brief text messages letting me know she was okay. Although that sounds like a very long time, especially in these situations, we both had a job to do and thankfully that kept our mind very busy. I sat at the supervisor's desk for about 30 minutes. The first call I took was from Henderson Fire Department, advising us they heard of the event and asking if we need any additional resources. The phone calls after that were all, were all a blur. I then was moved to sit next to the dispatcher that was handling the event. I pulled up talk channels and did my best to understand what, who was on what one. About one hour into the event, all the talk channels were changed. We called the operations manager of one of our ambulance companies in town letting him know of the event, where the command post was, and requested him to meet the units at the post. I talked to our chiefs that were responding to the event and updating them with as much little information that I had. I talked to our battalion chiefs at the event, assigned talk channels for each area that the event we divided that up into. We had one of our EMS coordinators, he came up and he sat next to me. He helped me getting information from hospitals and seeing how many beds they had available and what resources they had for us, all while listening to mass amounts of radio traffic. After everything was organized, on one of the TAC channels, units were being sent in with Metro Police to clear the hotel to look for any victims. And that's when it all hit me. They were going into looking for, to go look for additional patients, and we still had a screen full of numerous calls that I had yet to give to anybody at the incident. I believe at this point, most if not all patients had been transported to the hospital. We just had to clear out the calls to make sure that people that were calling in and begging for help have been looked for. People were calling us to let us know they were hiding. We had people calling us to tell us they were in a broom closet in a hotel, but they didn't know which floor they were on. We had people telling us that they were hiding in cars and alleyways. I wanted to make sure that we could locate as many victims as possible and hope that everyone is found. 
I gave the calls to one of the battalion chiefs via cell phone and then he ended up giving it to the correct battalion chief that was in charge of the certain area on this trip. Eventually the call screen was clearer and there was no more calls pending. At this point the madness was over. The need for help from us was done. I worked about one to two more hours after my shift ended and I knew I needed to do more. Like I mentioned before, I work for a private ambulance company, so after my shift in dispatch, I went straight to my second job to help as much as I could. After arriving at station, we went available for the night, and our first assigned post was the Strip. Driving down the Strip after the event, it was chilling. No one was out, there was no cars traveling up and down the boulevard, there was no taxis, no lights, hotels were dark, there was nothing. We got dispatched shortly after arriving to the Strip and transported our first patient. This was at least five hours after the event. We arrived at one of the local hospitals, it was a hospital that was very close to the event, the local trauma center in town. The hospital was quiet, bloody, gloomy. I stayed about five more hours on the ambulance and decided that it was time to go home and get some sleep. My adrenaline was gone and I felt that I did all I have could done. What I learned from this is to be familiar with the area you dispatch for. Know if there are any large events happening and know what medical company, if any, is doing the medical standby for the event and know how you can contact them. Be familiar with the names of the events and where in town they're being held and realize that it's okay to ask for help. It doesn't make you weak. For all of you with my personality, we can't do it all, but that's okay. It will be stressful listening to the chiefs in charge of the incident dispatching because that's our job, but they can do it. One of my worst qualities is trying to be tougher than I am. I don't want to seem weak or admit that I need help. I worked the next day after the event, came home still numb, exhausted, and mentally drained. I was living across from an elementary school at the time. School was in session, children were playing on the playground. I was folding laundry. A few of the kids on the playground started screaming, like kids do on a playground. I got chills and had a weird feeling overcome. I brushed it off, continued folding laundry, and they screamed again, and I broke down. I was bawling, I was uncontrollable, and I could not explain what happened. The screams of the children on the playground brought flashbacks to the screams of the innocent people running for their lives while they were calling and begging for help. The experience has definitely affected me as much as I don't want to admit it. Just two days after the event, my girlfriend and I were supposed to be flying to attend my best friend's wedding. As much as I didn't want to leave my town and my coworkers when they needed me the most, I knew they had enough support and enough resources and that it was going to be okay. We left just days following the event, watching on social media and news websites what was happening to our town. The love and support from everyone was amazing. Our community coming together and supporting each other. We came home three days later and we were still numb, confused, upset, scared, and on edge. I felt guilt for weeks following the event, asking myself what more could I have done, getting upset that I wasn't out running calls and transporting patients and physically being out there to help. But I knew there was a reason why I wasn't dispatched that night. I may never know why, but I have stopped blaming myself and I have accepted that I did the best that I could have done that night. Thank you. Hello, my name is Aubrey Holmes. I've been with the Combined Communication Center for two years. I worked at position four, a call taking position where I had the open line with Metro on the evening of October 1st. During this three hour open line, I was worried for my crews and for everyone attending the concert. My first thought was thinking of my family, friends, and coworkers who I knew were there, where they were at in the chaos, and if anyone was injured. I was frustrated and shocked that we didn't know where he was, if there was more than one shooter, and the reasoning behind this horrific act. I felt helpless and exhausted taking calls of the locations where the victims were and knowing that help would come, but just not as fast as it normally would. The one call that resonates with me is a report of a victim shot in the head. When Metro first reported this patient, they advised that they were awake and breathing, but not doing well. 
I wanted to send medical, but this dispatch was delayed because we didn't have any information on where the shooter was at that time. It was the worst feeling in the world knowing that this is my job, I'm the lifeline for the public, and this incident made my job much more difficult to send the resources that were needed. Taking any shooting calls makes me nervous. I anticipate that there are going to be multiple patients and chaos erupting at any second. This incident has changed me, but it has also made me even more proud to do what I do, to be a part of the system and work alongside amazing people in my department. Hello, everybody. My name is Matt Grogan. I'm a communication specialist with the Mind Communication Center. I've been with them for about two and a half years. I've been in the 911 industry for about 13. So I'm going to talk to you today a little bit about my experience on 1 October and some takeaways I had uh, from the evening. So my story is a little different than uh, most of what you heard. Uh, it's Mine is like Darren's in that I wasn't on shift when the event started. I was actually at home. So the event started a little bit after 10 o'clock, uh, as you already know, and my shift doesn't start until midnight. So when this started, I was in that process of, of, of getting ready to go to work, uh, packing things up. I was about half dressed, getting ready to go, and do my usual, just kind of surfing on uh, Facebook and Twitter and social media. And one, as you know, we had two people there. One of them had posted that there was something going on uh, at the concerts, that there was some kind of shooting. So I took up my phone, I turned on the scanner app, and started listening to the police traffic. And if, if you've listened to it yet, whether it's ours or whether it's Metro's, you knew there was something different. You know, we obviously didn't know the magnitude of the situation when this started, but we knew that there was just something different about all of this. So already ready for work, so I started making my way in. I figured they, they might need some help. So uh, I got to work just a little bit after, uh, or sorry, just a little bit before 11 o'clock, and I walked in the door and I was gonna go talk to Letha to ask her what she wanted me to do. I started work, walking towards her desk and the 10 steps it took me uh, to get there, she had circled the room about five times. And I figured she was a little bit busy, so I just figured I'd go take some calls. So for the next four hours, the first four hours I was at work, I, I took calls. It's everything that everyone's talked about and it's everything you can imagine in an event like this. And no one really prepares you for those kinds of situations. You never really think that it's gonna to happen to you. Um, there are three calls that stuck out to me and I'll share those to you, with you. So the first one is, not only were we taking calls from the, the, the patients and the victims at the concert, but we took a lot of calls from family members, from parents, from loved ones that were in contact with people at the venue and they were in turn calling for help. So I took a call from a father who was speaking with his son who had been shot at the concert. And you know, you're pulling double duty at that point in time because not only are you trying to help that patient to make sure that you find them and they get help, but then you're also trying to 
you know, comfort the father to let them know that, that I'm going to be able to find his son and I'm going to get him some help. And that was a situation we faced a lot. So uh, when I was talking to the father and the son, and he had made his way to the Tropicana just north of the venue, he said that he had hidden in a closet. And as we're trained, I asked him, you know, what did you see? Where did you go? And his first response was, I see a broom. And it just, it struck me that in the gravity of the situation, uh, his literal response, you know, was a little sarcastic. And, uh, you know, I, I, I knew at that point in time he, that he was going to be okay. The second call that stuck out to me was I talked to a lady who was a, she was a cop uh, from a department in California, unfortunately, of which I don't remember. She had been, she had called and said she had been shot in the knee. It was through and through, and she had made her way to Top Golf. Now, uh, for those that are familiar with Las Vegas, uh, Top Golf's behind MGM. It's, uh, it's a good distance, especially if you've been shot in the knee. And she said that she was okay. It wasn't life-threatening. She just wanted to let us know that she will need help eventually and that she was there and that the people at Top Golf were nice enough to give her her own suite and that she was comfortable. And all that was fine, except one thing stuck out to me and one thing uh, really struck me, and that was the sound of golf balls digging off in the background. Just because this shooting was going on doesn't mean the world stopped. People were still going about their Vegas life. You know, when you have situations of any magnitude, it doesn't mean that your other calls stop. And you still need to be able to process through those just as well as you're processing through these because you can't tell what's on the other end of that 911 line. And that was just a very sobering moment to realize that uh, this wasn't the only thing happening. On that same accord, though, the third call that stuck out to me is I had a little, uh, very nice uh, older lady call and tell me she had a bloody nose. That was it. She had a bloody nose. My first reaction, and, and for, let me say she wasn't involved in the concert. She was just in one of our senior living facilities. She had a bloody nose and she needed to go to the hospital. Uh, I first immediately had this visceral reaction of just take a taxi. <laughs> Don't you realize what you have, you know, what we have going on? And then you, you take a step back and you realize, no, she doesn't. You know, not everyone knew what was going on. And she still needed assistance, and I still need to provide her assistance at the same level that I'm providing all these other people. And then I also realized that it wasn't a shooting. It wasn't, a, you know, a, anything related with that event. So it was my moment to take a step back and kind of catch my breath and, and have some respite and just a normal call. And I, I was forever appreciative for all those kind of calls that I took in between everything else that happened. So I wanted to also share with you three kind of takeaways I had from the event, uh, some kind of lessons learned. So the first thing uh, that I think really helped us be successful is 
there's a, a phrase that's often attributed to, to Aristotle, and it's it's actually uh, it was actually written by a psychologist named William Durant, and it says, uh, "You are what you repeatedly do." Uh, therefore, excellence uh, should be a habit and not an act. And when you have events of this magnitude, you can have really great active shooter you know, policies and responses. You can have mass casualty procedures. You can have all those kind of things. But it really comes down to the nitty-gritty details of those small things we all know, like address verification and calming techniques, and those little small things. Because as you take call after call after call after call, and then you times that by 10, you're just going to that muscle memory carnal response. And it's those little tiny details that carry you through. Uh, I was fortunate enough to play football in college, you know, high school and college, and every coach, you know, they used to yell at us at practice because who likes practicing, uh, that unless you practice, you, you can't expect to show up on the game day and, and be good or be excellent or be anything. You know, you have to be excellent those days during the week to be excellent when the moment happens and that's something that always really stuck out with me so you know when you're going through just your normal days and your training events and your classes and opportunities like where you're at right now you have to really take advantage of them because then that parlays into what you know what can come the second takeaway is experiences and everything some of you know half of our team that worked this event had two years or less you know, Josh is, uh, you have Josh there. Josh's uh, trainee, Nelly, was barely signed out call taking. Like the ink was still drying on her paperwork. That's how new she was. And they all performed phenomenally. You know, they were some of the best people that we had at that event that, that dealt with this, with this situation. So I understand, you know, even myself as someone with experience expects to show up and be like, I'm the senior, hear me roar, let me take over. No, it's not always like that, you know, so make sure that you continue to work with your new peoples and your rookies and your new guys and your new girls and work with them and train them, mentor them. You know, because you're going to need them in situations like this. And they might turn around and they might be some of the best people you have like they were for us. The third thing uh, deals with how you react to these things. Uh, if they haven't already talked about it, they're going to talk about critical incident stress management and PTSD. And I grew up in a era and 911 you know and football and everything where it was just kind of rub some dirt on a kid and get back in there and that's not really how you can deal with the job that we do it has real life consequences and we deal with traumatic events every single day and you need to have a process for learning how to get through those kinds of events Aubrey who you've heard from already uh, pointed out a quote to me and I, I thought it was, was 
was really great, and I, I just want to share it with you. It's from the Resilient 911 Professional. It's a really great book if you haven't read it. And it's uh, it starts off with a, a quote from Winston Churchill, which says, if you're going through hell, keep going. Don't linger in it. Don't linger in it. Fight like hell for yourself and put aside the notion that you're going to get your old normal back. Fight like hell to develop a new normal. Find ways to help you cope, heal, and grow. And that really kind of struck me because from the second you start this job, from where we are now at whatever length of service you have, you know, from where you started, you're a different person. You know, we look at things differently. We respond to things differently. It's just because of the job that we do. And you can't expect to go back to being that you can't unlearn and you can't unhear the things that we have. So you need to find a way to cope with it, to deal with it, whether it's talking to people or whether it's, you know, having therapy doctors, doing those kind of things. Because if you don't fight for yourself and find ways to deal with this, no one will. The only person that can take care of you is you. So I appreciate you guys uh, listening to my story and to my takeaways. Uh, I hope you enjoy the rest of the presentation and the rest of your conference. Have a good day. Thank you all for, for listening and watching to those. Watching those. I, can, I know it can be a little tiresome sometimes. But now we're going to get on to me. Um, I was working there that night, as you know, as I said, I worked the first two hours. And thinking back about this whole event and how to deal with it during and since, I think about growth. Um, six years ago, I started at a small agency in a small county in Torrance County, New Mexico. Uh, two dispatchers on at one time. Uh, we cover about 4,400 square miles. And it was probably about eight, nine in the morning and I get this call from a guy who is currently in the kitchen of a subway at a gas station. And he had said that he had just, the night before, he got kidnapped, carjacked from El Paso, Texas. It was brought up to the jurisdiction that I worked in. And I thought about, you know, we got him the help he needed. We made sure he was taken care of. And when I got home that day, I was watching TV and flipping through the channels and I saw this story of the call I took on the news. And as high as the FBI, because he went through two different states. And at that point, I thought to myself, man, what I do is real. This isn't just something we see in the movies. This is real life. And all of us here have had that experience of your first call you go on and you realize, oh my goodness, this is not just something they talk about. This is something we actually do here. So again, I was only on for six months at the time. And then here we are six years later and I'm handling the Route 91 or 101 incident. Um, that night I remember Metro calling and saying we have three people down and that this what's going on. So I said, okay, let's do it. I stood up and as I'm standing up, I see Jordan to my right, Monet behind me, all standing up. And at the same time we go, Letha! And Letha turns around with the deer in the headlights look and says, what's going on? We got an active shooter. And she goes, okay, how many injured? I, I knew of 20. Three down, 20 injured, and they were still shooting. Um, I believe one of those was one officer. And so 
we just went into that mode of, you know, let's get this done, let's do what we gotta do, we gotta get through this. And as Matt mentioned, we have the muscle memory as, as dispatcher, or even anybody in the field of, let's apply pressure to control the bleeding, let's make sure they get the help they need, we need to get to the next call, we need to get them the help and finalize this call. So when that muscle memory kicks in, I was not great, but I was okay with those calls. The ones that really got me and stopped me in my tracks were, again, as Matt mentioned, the family members that called in. We're about 40, 45 minutes into this event, and I get this call from a dad who's looking for his son. Coincidentally, it might even have been the same one Matt had, I don't know. But he's, look, he's, look, he's talking to me, and you know, when you don't get the calls for the event, when we weren't getting that calls and we got a call for something else, we kind of got like hit a brick wall. We had to step on the brakes because our minds are going so fast to try to handle this, and all of a sudden we get a call not related, and it's like, whoa, we gotta go back to this other protocol. So he was calling me, and he said, listen, I'm, I'm having trouble reaching my son. I know he's at the shooting out there, and I can't reach him. Sorry. And I said, sorry, you're trying to call him? He goes, yes. He goes, I need to get a hold of my son. I need to get a hold of my son. And I said, sir, I'm sorry. At this point, I, I, don't, I can't help you. He goes, what about the Red Cross? The Red Cross should have a number set up. So the, num the Red Cross does set up, and they work great, and they work efficiently. But we're 40 minutes in. They don't have that number quite set up yet. So what am I supposed to do? Unfortunately, sir, you're your only help right now. You need to get a hold of your, you need to keep trying on your end. And that's where you have to break down and realize that you can't help everybody. As much as we want to, and as much as we're trained to, we can't help everybody. So we're going throughout the days, and as Jordan said, she was handling Letha's calls. Jordan did not talk about herself enough. That girl is a superhero. She got off the supervisor's desk, moved to one of the TAC channels. She was having four of the eight channels working that night and taking phone calls and making the alerts to the ERs that people are coming in. So when Letha moved her over, I took care of Letha's phones. So at that point, I'm handling the emergency, the non-emergency, and the supervisory calls. Anybody who is battalion chief for hire calls the supervisor line, and we got a lot of calls that night. So we're calling, we're getting the suspicious package, we got the thing at the Luxor, and it's about midnight. And we have a policy that we can only work no more than 14 hours, and I was on my 13th hour and 59 minute. And I look at Letha, and I said, Letha, listen, I'm on a 14, do you need me to stay? And she got this calm in her voice and said, can you stay, baby? Baby, can you stay? And I said, I sure can. So, text the wife, hey, I'm not gonna be home anytime soon. She texts me back with, um, that's self-explanatory. Be safe, I love you. So I'm working there, it's been another 15 minutes and this gentleman named Daniel comes and taps me on the shoulder. And he goes, Josh, go take a break. I'm not taking a break right now. We got all this going on. Josh, go take a break. I just got off one. Take 15 and we'll, we'll reassess then. So during the time, like Matt had mentioned, he came in. Darren came in early and uh, another man named Jason Roller came in as well. He was one that was on his off days and I'm not lying. This guy showed up in a tank top, flip flops and swim trunks. And he started taking calls and handling this. So when Daniel tapped me on the shoulder, I went to the restroom. I came back to Letha and I said, Letha, where do you want me? And she goes, baby, we got this, go home. No, I'm not going home. 
we have all this trouble, where do you want me? Baby, we got this, go home. Letha, I can't go, baby, go home. So I said, all right, so here I go, 10, 20 minutes later, texting the wife, I'm on my way home. She said, what happened? I said, they just sent me home. She goes, okay, be safe, make sure you make it home. Okay. So I get in my car, and I'm driving home, and I live about 20 minutes away from where I work. And if I sat here in line, I'd be lying if I said I wasn't doing 95 to 100 on the highway, because I knew where all the cops were, and they were not following me. <laughs> and so I get home, and the wife looks at me, and she goes, hey, you okay? And I said, I don't know yet. Talk to me in a couple days, when it, when it all sets in. So we go upstairs and she's got the TV on. When I got home at the time, it was on the news. Two deceased, about 100 injured. And my wife looks at me and goes, wow, it's not as bad as it sounds. I said, no, that's, that's going up. She goes, but the news, I'm the news right now, okay? I'm telling you what's going up. So she kind of chuckled. And by the time we went to bed about 3, 3.30 in the morning, it, I think it was up to 30 deceased and multiple, numerous amount injured. And so I went to sleep. I got like four hours of sleep, woke up at seven, got my girls to school, came home, and turned on the news again. And at that point, it was up to 45 deceased and over 400 injured. And that's when my guilt kicked in. In emergency services, we're trained that when the stuff's going down, we're going in. While everyone's running out, we're going in. And a dispatch is not much different. We want to be there for this because you know what? One more body can help. One more person can help. Just like everyone in the field thinks, let's get there. Let's get there. We can help. We're trained. Let's do this. So again, that's where my guilt kicked in. Uh, they had us do a debriefing the next day. And I have to say it was one of the worst experiences and one of the best experiences I could have had at following this event. Worse because we probably went through 30 boxes of tissue. And good because it was our first chance to get it out and talk amongst people and understand what they went through. Even though it happened less than 12 hours, 24 hours prior, it was still good to hear what their thoughts were. So we're sitting there in debriefing and I'm talking to everyone about how I'm feeling and I have a great team and they're like, you can't feel guilty. She goes, they're all like, Josh, you weren't, you didn't go home 10 minutes after it, we sent you home. Leads to the supervisor said, Josh, if you wanna know the truth, she goes, my time was up at two o'clock in the morning Normally we give a turnover or a briefing of what's going on. She said, I looked at the incoming supervisor and said, it's yours, I'm going home. And she left. There wasn't much we could brief anyway because everything was constantly changing. So I know you've noticed in the previous slides, if I let you see them long enough or even during their videos, people had pictures of what made them happy during this, what makes them happy. And you have to have that. You have to grasp on what makes you happy because if you don't, you're going you're you're to be depressed all the time. And grasping on what makes you happy gives you that little hope that, you know, it's not going to be the same, but it's going to be okay. Well, I do 2208. That was where I was. That was the time I took my first call. And I don't mean to age anybody in here in any means, but a lot of my parents and grandparents told me they knew exactly where they were when they found out Elvis died. I, myself, remembered where I was when we found out Princess Diana died. Those are big events. I will always remember where I was on October 17th, excuse me, October 1st, 2017, at 22.08 p.m. 
And that's something that's always going to stick with me. So, if I leave you with anything on this, I hope you guys never have to experience, experience something like this. I really hope you don't. But if you do, seek help. And I don't mean that to be sarcastic. I mean it to do, seek help. It, it, it really helps. I started counseling about three weeks after the event and I pulled some skeletons out of the closet. I didn't even know where they And it really helps. I talk about seeking help and getting help for yourself. These four people right there are great. And I have to include them in this because what they did for us was awesome. After the event happened, their, their agency contacted ours and said, do you guys need anything? Do you guys need anything like that? And at first they were told no. Then about two days later, our supervisors called them back and said, is that offer still on the table? They sent these four individuals down to help us. And they walked in expecting to rub our backs, get us coffee and muffins, and be there to talk. We said, no, we're putting you in the trenches. In two days, they were call-taking. They came in one day, the very next day they were call-taking, and they learned it, and they did it great. So I talk about, we help others, these are the people that help us. These are the people that when people like me needed time off after the incident, they stepped up and, and reduced the need for mandatory overtime or shifts that weren't covered. And I can't thank them enough. 869 injuries, 413 from gunfire, and 58 fatalities at night. Now, I know we did one earlier, but if I can ask for 58 seconds as a moment of silence to honor those that have fallen. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. I appreciate everyone coming here, and I hope you guys have a good day. That is all for this episode. I encourage you to go back and listen to the other podcasts in this Vegas Strong series. Be sure to log into Target Solutions and take the post-test so you can get your CEs for this. We hope to bring you more content like this in the future. If you have any suggestions for future conferences, please reach out to me and EMS. Until then, take care of each other and we'll talk to you soon.